Well, good morning. It's good to see you all today. You all look fantastic with your name tags. And uh, we've got, I uh, just want you to know, we've got copious amounts of watermelon um, outside of the uh, these worship center doors. And uh, I think they're actually outside and under some tents. And so um, we spared no expense. I think it's the seedless kind. So um, nothing but the finest here at Faithy Free. So take advantage of that. Don't leave without uh, watermelon today. Uh, Carrie Relihan is going to be preaching for us this morning. And um, Carrie and uh, Joanne. Um, have been serving. Uh, he's the missions catalyst at the uh, Midwest District Conference of the EFCA and has served as a pastor for how many years? Almost 29. 29 years. And so um, we're glad that they're here. They're uh, the parents of Tim Relihan. Uh, Tim and Emily uh, served at Navigators here for several years before going to the Dominican Republic. And so we're glad to have you here. Thanks for being here. We're looking forward to what God has for us today. Thank you so much, Logan. Doesn't he do a good job of leading music, worship? Thank the Lord. I'm so appreciative to be able to be here today. A long time ago when uh, Steve and I were, uh, uh, Pastor Steve and I were both at a seminary together and graduated at the same time together and we were looking at churches together. I grew up uh, in Chapman, Kansas, not far from here and uh, was uh, also interested in, in Manhattan and I remember that uh, I just uh, was not, uh, did not sense the freedom of God to, uh, to come and pursue this uh, ministry role here. And I was so glad that Steve would do that. And boy, it's just a marvelous uh, leader and preacher and teacher. And the Lord called me to a, a marvelous place in Stromsburg, Nebraska, a little church there. I, you know, I thought uh, the way he opened the door was clear that he wanted me there. And then uh, I thought, well, for three years or so, well, then that turned into almost 29. So uh, uh, the way the Lord works. Uh, I had prayed that the Lord would lead me to a, a church that would, be allowed, uh, would allow me to uh, help see the world changed uh, and to be able to engage the world for the Lord. And I was, had been considering, should I go into uh, missions or should I be a pastor when the Lord had called me to ministry? And, and I saw that the, he said, okay, go uh, be a pastor. And so I said, Lord, a church that uh, would be willing to change and connect to the world. Well, there's just a small town of 1,200 people in Nebraska, but the Lord uh, did some marvelous things there over the years. Uh, we were able to see... Uh, ministry, church planting, a whole movement of church plants take place and be a part of that out in Russia, in Tatarstan, Russia, to see uh, ministries among gypsies take place in Penny, Russia, to see uh, um, Afghan believers, uh, people come to know Christ as Afghans uh, in Athens, Greece, the refugee community is coming in there. We've helped uh, to launch uh, ministries among sea tribe peoples and uh, uh, out in the, in the oceans and and we've just seen amazing things that God's taken place, working with church plants in our district. Um, and uh, to be, I was able to be on the, the national board of the Free Church's missions and, and to see things taking place there and, and to see the, the growth and, of what God's doing around the world. And so when it came time for me to step down as a senior pastor and to do a healthy transition after a long pastorate, uh, I came actually down to part of my uh, process of preparing for that. I talk with Steve about that, because I know he's been studying on that as well, and, and uh, some other pastors that I knew, and so uh, we went through that two-year transition. I said, Lord, um, what uh, would you have me do for the next 10 years of my life? And, uh, and the Lord made clear, uh, pursue multiplication in the area of missions, and, and the Lord laid on my heart to, uh, to become the missions catalyst for our Midwest district. We have 107 churches 
in our Midwest district of evangelical free churches. Faith is one of those. Um, we are in Kansas, Nebraska, Kansas City metro area. And uh, the Lord just uh, laid in my heart, well, what would happen if the things that God did through us and our little church in Strasburg, other churches around the, the, the district who were thinking they were too small or that could do anything necessarily for the Lord, you know, it's too big a thing to try. Uh, and we had that feeling too, can we do this or can we do that? And uh, we stepped out in faith and watched God do amazing things, so much so to that uh, a year ago we kind of figured up and we have uh, one-ninth of our church family are in full-time Christian ministry. So out of 180 people, we have actually 20 people in full-time ministry, including our son Tim and Emily. I, I am so grateful um, for the support that, uh, and just the joy that they found faith as their church home when Tim was here with NAV staff. And, and to be able to have Emily as my daughter-in-law, you can't get much better than that. Say hi to Tim and Emily, would you, just for now? They might be watching online. Hi, Tim and Emily. Okay. And... Um, and then to, to have these beautiful grandbabies, uh, these are my, my twin grandbabies, 14 months old, and so they're down there in Dominican Republic, and we were able to bring your gift to them that you uh, had prepared. We took that uh, to them as a, a special gift to encourage them in March, and they very much appreciate it. So I just want to say on their behalf, thank you for loving them and praying for them and giving to them, supporting them in their ministry. I'm also so glad to be here today because I get to share God's Word, and so please open up your Bibles to Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is a great psalm in that it is the most quoted passage in the New Testament, is this psalm, allured to, uh, uh, it is quoted by our Lord, by Peter, by Paul, by the author of Hebrews, um, alluded to so many times, and so it's a, it's a great passage. Let's read, let me read it for you. I'll be reading out of the New American Standard, and, uh, and you follow along in, in your versions, and let's, and let's see what God says. A Psalm of David. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth your strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power, in holy array. From the womb of the dawn, your youth are to you as the dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of His wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This is God's word for us this morning. Let's bow and just ask the Lord to bless it to us. Father God, as we come before you, we are your people. And we've come to worship you and to honor you. And, and to Lord, we're so thankful to say to you that we're grateful for this word that you've given us. You've spoken, and we want to hear, Lord, and we want to take what you've given to us and, and apply it to our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would open my heart to this word and my brothers and sisters in Christ here today. And, Lord, we pray that together we would be a changed people. Lord, I thank you, and I pray that you'd empower me by your spirit today. Accomplish your will in Jesus' name. 
Amen. You know, epic stories are captivating. They really are. Epic stories are captivating. When I was a young boy, I remember the story of the Wizard of Oz. And growing up in Chapman, Kansas, not far from here, uh, I remember uh, when I was a child just being scared the bejeebers out of me, seeing those flying monkeys and uh, all those things. I, but that story was a part of who I am as a Kansan. Uh, Dorothy coming from Kansas and tornadoes and all those kinds of things. And then I think of... Um, the Leather Stocking Tales, including The Last of the Mohican by James Fenimore Cooper. I love that series. And, and Natty Bumpo and all that they're involved there in that story. The Pilgrim's Progress that John Bunyan wrote. The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Great stories, aren't they? Um, children's stories like Cinderella that when we hear those, they stick in our minds. And those stories, they stick with us and they kind of transform the way we think and see things. And I'm reminded that Ravi Zacharias... He was a, such a great thinker who grew up in India and who uh, knows so much the East and the West and how to understand culture and things. He was saying that, um, that culture shapes a people's perception of truth. And to speak truth is to have propositional statements or truth claims that are made to us. And when a truth claim is made to us, is this, this statement comes into the front door of our minds and it comes in there in that rational part of our being and we begin to understand truth by rational understanding of reality. Does it tell us what reality is? And so these truth claims come to the front door. But he says there's another way that truth impacts us as a culture and that's when it comes to the back door of our mind in the arts, in the stories, in the music, in the drama, in the video, in the, in the medias that we have of all different kinds, that this shapes our experience and observation of truth too. And he goes on to say that today in our culture, especially here in the West, he says, we have less dependent upon the rational part that is supposed to be the thing that probably is the best place where truth is, is, is established but uh, we have started to, first and foremost, listen to the, the storylines, the music and the video and the, the things that we see in the screen around us, and it's shaped our politics, it shapes our worldview, it shapes how we interact with uh, um, the events of our day. And he says, what we find, though, is that uh, God has spoken to us in both of these things, truth statements that He speaks to us, but also through this powerful imagery of the story that we see so much of the time in the Scriptures. And the reality is, is that uh, there's characters in every story. If I were to speak about uh, Dorothy and Toto, you know what I'm talking about. If I mention Bilbo, you're drawn into that epic. If you uh, hear me speak about Darth Vader, you're all of a sudden there because stories tell something about us. They, they tell about, uh, they, they give us information about victims and rescuers of heroes and villains of good and evil. But what we have to understand is if these stories begin to shape us, do you know that God has His story too? And God has His story that's meant to shape us. It's meant to mold us. It's meant to grip us. It's meant to be that thing which drives us. We are, in fact, not just listening to a story. We are meant to live the story. And that's the point that we need to think about this morning is God's story that thing that drives our life. So uh, it's interesting because, uh, of course, the Wizard of Oz or, uh, or the Avengers, uh, these stories, while as good as they are, uh, 
this one that we have this morning in our scriptures is the real one that's being played out for true. And we are actually in it. So let's look at Psalm 110, given by King David. He was led by the Holy Spirit to declare this message. He's speaking about the story of God here a thousand years ahead of time that he's speaking about what God is doing in the middle of his story to the end of the story. His story, of course, God's story begins in the book of Genesis and creation. God made everything. He made uh, people then in His image to take His glory and to be His glorious representatives and to rule and fulfill the earth that he's, He blessed the people to rule and fill the earth and to be His representatives in this world. But then sin entered into the world. And from that point on, God was about rescuing people from all the nations to be connected to Him so that they could know who He was and what He's like so that they could represent Him again rightly in the world that He's made. And this is the story. But this Psalm 110 speaks about when God is halfway through that epic story of His. So let's see now who is in this story and what's uh, the parts of the characters here? And let's get a little glimpse of the conclusion. The first thing we find is, is that God is the author and hero of His history-consuming story. Now, in the back of your outline, you can follow along there in the back of your bulletin. You can fill in the outline there or, or follow along here. But I just want you to grasp, grasp that. Just pause for a moment. God, God... It is God who is the author of this story and is bringing about it, and He's the chief actor in it. So we need to stop and clearly, first of all, grasp the identity of God the Lord here. And when you start in Psalm 110, verse 1, He says, The Lord says to my Lord. Now you see the Lord used twice, that word used twice, but one is all capitals, and one is just capital L, little o, little r, little d. I want us to focus on the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D word for a moment because that refers to the personal name of God. In our English translations, whenever you come upon that uh, word like that, that would refer you to the Hebrew letters YHWH, the personal name of God. Now, the personal name of God was so, so significant, so powerful, so glorious that whenever a Jewish person came to read that word in their text... They would never speak it because what right does an unholy man or an unholy woman have to speak the very name of God from their lips? You don't. So they would never say Y-H-W-H and pronounce it. They would instead say Adonai. They would say Lord and substitute that in. Then they uh, would take uh, the letters, the vowels actually, out of the word Adonai, and they stuck them in between the Y-H-W-H, and with that they got the word Jehovah. And so they would refer to Jehovah. And uh, that way they would be able to honor the greatness of God. Now you already began to see, don't you, that, that they had an understanding of God that sometimes maybe we need to get a little bit, to rise up to see the almighty nature of who God is. Of course, our English version translations will follow along with, the, with their lead. And so we have Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, so we don't, have, we don't have Y-H-W-H there. 
And then we have capital L, little O, little R, little D. We have Adonai there as well. But this name of God means eternal presence. He is the I am God. He always was, always will be. He, he has always been existent. He's self-existent. Nothing created or made Him. He was always there in the past. He always is in the present, and He will always be in the future. He's at the beginning and the end. We see in this passage this God is the God who speaks and decrees and acts. This is not a God who happens to, like deists think, wind up the world and then just let it run. No, this is a God who is actively involved with mankind, actively involved in history. So when you and I see in the news things that are happening in Iran, things that are happening in the Korean Peninsula, or things that are taking place in the Middle East, or Macron from France and what he might happen to be doing in Europe, when we see those things, perhaps we only see these things as, and they only present it in the news as if a man's doing this and man's doing that, and there's this negotiation happening and that negotiation happening all on the human level. I tell you that God is standing behind that, working His story in the midst and weaving His story in the midst of all of those activities. He's at work. He's at work. And we find here that He is a God who speaks. He says in, in, Psalm, uh, in verse 1, He says, sit at my right hand. In verse 2, He says, rule. In verse 4, He says to the Son, you are a priest forever. God the Father is sovereign over all the events of history. He's the appointer and the sender of Jesus. He is the one who determines uh, when all the people on the earth must give an account before Him. And yet I wonder how many of us have a God consciousness enough, we're awake enough to realize all the time that no matter where we are, that we must eventually always give ourselves as an account to this God. I believe that most people in our world are not there they're not thinking about this God. They lack a God consciousness. And that's why every man can do what is right in his own eyes. Do people live with that consciousness today? I don't think so. What would happen to us if we began to consider God in all the things that we do and say? What would happen if we um, believed that He were always present? What if, what if this God... What if he actually knew all things that we're saying and thinking and doing, even if we're alone? What if this God knows the future? What if this God knows what is right and what is wrong? What if this God knows what is good and best for us? Well, friends, he's all of that, isn't he? He knows all of that. This is who is writing his story. And it's because God needs to be worshipped and, and, and uh, not because He lacks anything, but because we need to worship Him and come to know Him. The story's got to be about Him. Life has got to be about Him. But not only do we find that God the Father is being spoken about here, but being in our outline, we see the identity of Jesus the Lord in this passage. There are four things we can see about Jesus. David writes, the Lord said to my Lord, who's the second my Lord? That was the point that David, uh, that, uh, the, that Jesus himself made in describing people who came to him. Well, who is he talking about there? If David had a Lord, it was Jesus. <laughs> and then uh, uh, and, and, uh, Peter made the same point. This Lord is, here's David, the king of all of Israel, and if the king of all Israel, the leader of all Israel says, 
I have a Lord as well, then that means that all the people in Israel should say, oh, then He's my Lord too. And we should all say, yes, He is my master as well. We cannot keep ourselves away from that. He is the Lord, and um, He's the Lord who's seated beside God the Father, seated at God's right hand, the place of power and authority and strength. And that means that He's co-equal with God. Matthew 26, verse 64, when Jesus was at His trial before He went to the cross, and the high priest came to Him and was questioning Him, inquiring whether He is the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus responded to Him and said that, uh, he himself as a son of man, that he was going to be sitting at the right hand of the power on high and that he would come again on the clouds of heaven. And so here they are able to, Jesus is saying several things about himself. He says, listen, you, have, you might be putting me to death, but obviously he's not going to stay dead. He's going to rise again. And not only that, he's going to ascend into heaven. He's going to be seated there at the right hand of God, referring to this passage. And he says, and I'm coming again. Do you see what verse 1 says? He says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. He says, I want you to know that you might be trying to crucify me, but I know who I am. And I explained to you who I am. And because of what that, the, the priest got it. He understood that he was claiming to be God. And he says he blasphemes and they put him to death. This is who our Lord is. But here he was seated at the right hand of God. To have been seated at his right hand means that he had completed the work that he was supposed to do. And when was he seated there? On the day of Pentecost, the apostle Peter explained that Jesus died and that he rose again. And, and then he said about his ascension. And so now he is seated. He quoted this passage, seated at the right hand of God the Father. This passage is so crucial to speak about who Jesus is. But then we see he also is a ruling king. Psalm 110 verse 1, he's going to rule over all of his enemies. They're going to be the footstool for his feet. All of his enemies are going to be under his feet when he will be completely in control of them. But it also goes on to say in verse 2 something a little different. It says that uh, he's going to rule in the midst of of all of his enemies, in the middle of them. They're all surrounding him all over. So the Lord God has people in his world who are enemies. You know, that's who you and I were before we found Jesus Christ. That's who we are as enemies. And we find that he um, is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, that's a strange uh, thought here that we find in verse, uh, in verse uh, 4. It says, you are a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, it's interesting because Melchizedek's name in Hebrews 7, it says, is the first name of all because it means king of righteousness. So here's a priest who is the king of righteousness. Not only that, but this Melchizedek came out of Salem, which is Jerusalem. So he's the Lord of peace. He's this priest of peace who is a king as well, who's come out of Salem. It says in Hebrews 7 that he had no beginning and no end. And that in, we find in Genesis when he met Abraham that Melchizedek blessed Abraham. And who is it, after all, that blessed Abraham earlier? In Genesis 12, the only one who put the blessing on Abraham was God himself. In Genesis 12, 1, he says, you will be a blessing and through you all the nations will be blessed. So Melchizedek was the one who was acting as God in the Old Testament and Jesus is being identified as that Melchizedek. 
He is the one who is the priest, able to stand between God and man, to bring man to God. He is the one Savior who is the king and the priest. He is unique among all creature, uh, all, all people ever have lived on this earth. He is equal to God. He is ruling as God. He is a priest king. And the last thing, number four, is he's the coming Messiah who's going to judge over all of his enemies. But if this is who our God is, and he is the main character and the author of this story, then it's all about him, but notice who we are. And this is where it gets exciting to be a part of because we are part of the story that God is doing. And we see in Roman numeral 2 that uh, we are his people who have a vital role in his story. And who are we? Well, I think verse 3 we could be described A in outline. We are a growing volunteer movement. Now, there's two descriptions in verse 3 as to who we are. There's two descriptions here as to who you and I are. Uh, one of those is that we're a free will offering, and the second thing is that we are, we are youth like dew on the ground. Now, uh, notice in my version, is, as I read it, it says, your people will volunteer freely. Maybe yours says something along like that in your bu- version of the Bible, your translation. The literal Hebrew says, you are a, your people are a free will offering. That means that, that we are those who have become the offering ourselves. And if you're a free will offering, you have given all of yourself to follow the Lord. You are in His service, completely dedicated to Him. And that's exactly what Jesus describes when He talks about who are the disciples of Jesus. He says in Mark chapter 8, He says, You cannot be my disciple unless you're willing to what? Die to self, take up our crosses daily, and follow after Him. It's not my agenda that I'm living for anymore. It's the Lord. I'm connecting myself to Him. I'm identifying with Him. He's the one in charge. He's my leader, my teacher. He says in Mark chapter 1, it says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He says in John 15, in the fruit and the vine, in the branches, He tells us, He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would last, that it would remain So ask whatever you wish in my name, and it will be done for you. I love that. Jesus says that that he calls us his friends in that passage, and that we'll glorify our God by making disciples, by bearing fruit for his glory. And so when we are involved in that process, he says, man, if you've got difficulties, you've got issues, he says, you pray and ask whatever you wish. I'm behind you on that. I answer those prayers because I'm with you. I want you to bear fruit, fruit to remain. That's what I'm doing in my world. That's his story, you see. And this is powerful in our world, being our outline. When Jesus has his people offering themselves to serve him, it's an amazing thing. Matthew 16 and 18, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. We are the light of the world. We are the disciples, the followers of Jesus Christ. We are together making a difference like you cannot believe. You cannot do it alone. You must be together. You must be gathered together in the church, and churches gathered together as well. But this is the day that we serve the Lord according to His power with dependence on prayer. Amazing, expectant to see God do things through us that we couldn't believe. I want to tell you that when I was in Strongsburg, Nebraska, when I first got there, there was a couple of missionaries uh, that had come from our church family. But uh, through the years to see uh, uh, actually that the Lord would raise up 20 or one-ninth of our church family involved in full-time ministry somewhere, it was an amazing thing. Now, does that mean that the eight-ninths were not significant? 
No, I'll tell you what. The reason that the one-ninth were going where they were was because there's people encouraging and motivating and praying and discipling and everything else. We were all together. It's one group that was working, right? And, and to, to, to think that those, the little group of Swedish people back in 1910 that started this church in the Swede capital of Nebraska, a little, little church of people about uh, nine family units, nine couples, there's no way... There's no way you'd ever would have thought that, uh, that those people at that time would ever have thought that that church would come to be around 180 to 200 people, let alone that anybody from that place was going to be going to Tatarstan, Russia, to helping to launch a church planting movement there. That would never have crossed their mind. Nobody there, nobody would have ever thought that that church would have the opportunity to connect with uh, people who are from Afghanistan and to connect with them and help them come to know Jesus Christ while they're in Athens, Greece. Nobody knows those things. Nobody could have those thoughts. And so when we see at the end of uh, in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ask or think, I'm telling you, God does things that, that we can't even begin to dream of if we are those who step out in faith and watch the Lord work. Now, I know this church has stepped out in faith over and over again. I love the name of the church, too. Because, you see, that's exactly what it calls for. And I'm so grateful for your, your leadership here. And I'm so grateful for uh, uh, the missions ministries that have come out of this church. But I can't imagine, can't imagine what it's like coming down the line. Why? Because God's powerfully at work, and this is happening, see, in all around the world. There are amazing, amazing movements of Christ taking place. Today is some of the most rapid growth in Jesus' work of salvation that we have ever seen. More and more people becoming followers of Jesus Christ. Friends, do you know that evangelical Christians are the fastest growing uh, religious group in the world? We're growing faster than the population rate. The only religious group doing that. There are church planting movements happening around the globe. It took 18 centuries for practicing Christians to grow from 0% to 2.5% of the world's population by 1900. Only 70 years to grow from 2.5% to 5% in 1970. It only took 40 years to grow from 5% to 12% by the year 2010, and today there's one practicing Christian for every seven people in the globe. Do you understand what's happening? In the history of God's work, it's going like this, and there's this curve that's just rising up, that God is raising up more and more people who are following Him around the globe. It's amazing what's taking place. You know, there's approximately 16,000 different ethnic groups in the world. 6,000 of those are majority Christians. Another 3,000 of those have had major breakthroughs among them where there's a large number of, of following, practicing Christians in those groups. Uh, for example, South Korea is a third of their, of their uh, country is uh, evangelical practicing Christians, a third. Not a majority, but a third. That's an amazing thing. There's around 3,500 people groups in this world who have never yet come to understand who this God is that you and I know and love and worship, who's, who's done so many things for us to answer our prayers, care for our souls, and gives us the hope of eternal life. And they're longing for that. 
They're longing to find answers. But it's amazing, of those 3,500, um, I was told just this last um, February at a, at a uh, perspectives course that there was 1,647 unengaged people groups in our world. That means 1,647 groups of indigenous peoples that have nobody, no Christian worker there, no Christian church in their midst to share anything about anything about Jesus so they could know the one true God. Now, that's what I was told in February. About a week and a half ago, I was at a training center um, in Kansas City, and we were talking with some of the people who brought that same statistic, and she said, this woman said, that, yeah, she goes, you know, actually, we now know that there's, uh, it's in the low 1500s of people who are unengaged people groups. I was talking with a uh, Wycliffe uh, trans uh, 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 representative, and I, heard, I said, you know, I understand that, that Wycliffe believes that they're going to be able to have the, the Scriptures translated into uh, the languages by 2029 or something like that. I said, is that right? And he says, oh, no. So that's he said, our plan is that we will have started every language will be tra- have started being translated by 2025, and we are completely on target. Do you see what's happening here? The story of Jesus Christ is coming to a conclusion. You understand that what, who we are today, we are the people who are these volunteers who are out here. And what we find is that, that we are like the dew, he says, the dew that's uh, on the ground. Now, what is dew? What, why does he bring that up? This, the, the youth are like the dew. Well, if you know anything about Israel, especially in their day, not today so much when they have so many other technologies they use, but in their day, it was so crucial, 20% of their moisture comes about through dew. When I was a boy growing up in uh, Chapman, Kansas area, we'd go out in the fields and pick up stones and throw them off the side and make piles of rocks so the guys wouldn't have to mess with them in the field as they did cultivation. Not in Israel. In Israel, they leave the stones amongst the, uh, their, their row crops and stuff. Why? Because it collects more, with more uh, surface area, more dew, more moisture. Dew is vital to them, and they see it as refreshing. They see it as brand new every morning. They see it as permeating everything. It goes everywhere. It's, it causes growth. It's, it is good. It is a blessing. It is a great thing. And God says, my people are like dew. They spread everywhere. They cause growth. They cause refreshment. That's what my people are like. And he's actually, that's exactly what's taking place. Do you know that there are now a thousand churches in the world for every unreached people group? God is working the work. And so what do we volunteers do? D in your outline. There's these six things that we can be a part of. We can be those people who, who recognize that, that we can be involved ourselves. And we can see things that God, we, we can do all six of these things. We are, um, roll on through, here we go. We can learn and pray and we can, um, we can go ourselves and send and welcome and mobilize. Now, not everybody goes. There's a lot of people who will be sending the ones who go. But all of us can go in a way in the fact that um, we can, whenever you are connecting to somebody else, you are also partner scripturally. You are partnering with them. You are in that process of going. And when you're on short-term teams and when you, to, to learn about what's happening and taking place and praying and reading the scriptures and say, God, would you do this again here or there? Maybe this church grabs a hold of an unreached people group and says, this is where we will focus our energies. And maybe there's a church in Lawrence and Topeka or nearby that can all join together and say, hey, let's join together and we will reach this people group. 
And that can take place. And plus, there's how many students are we find around here from Kansas State University uh, that you, you know that uh, uh, Dave and Anita would know about students from all around that, that can, can know about who God is if we let, welcome them and meet them. Do you know that most international students don't get the chance to be in our homes? And they leave without ever having been in Americans' homes. I know that that's the way we Americans roll, but that's not good. We need to open ourselves up and just be willing to welcome somebody in and get to know who they are, get to understand their heart, listen to them, and let God, let them know who God's like, what He's like, because He is a God of love, and He is reaching out to people from all the nations. Now, why do we do this? Why do we do this? Because, friends, number three in your outline... The end of the story is coming. You see, things are coming to a conclusion. And one day Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to rule over His enemies. And when justice comes at that moment, it won't be good for those who have rebelled against God and said, I don't want you in my life. It's not good. However, today... The good news is that today is the day of rescue. Today is a day when God is bringing people who were His enemies from all around, bringing them back to the table again, making them His own. And this is where you and I are involved. Brothers and sisters, God has a story. Where are you in that story of God? Are you one who is still not on his team? You rebelled and you're holding him at arm's length. You don't want to listen to him. You don't want to follow him. You don't want to yield to the one who's the Lord, the maker of everything, all glorious. Then maybe today is the day when you hear Spirit of God calling you and you're just going to say, Jesus, I've been rebelling. I've been holding back. I've not given myself to you. Would you forgive me and make me your own? I want to follow you. I want you to be my Savior. And so many of us, we've been transformed by that, haven't we? We've become a part of His team. But then there's other of us who we've been part of His team, but maybe we've been sitting on the sidelines. It's time for us to say, you know what? I can help mobilize with somebody else. I can come along with somebody else and, and get them to the field. Or maybe we can gather a group of us and we can have 15, 20 of us. So we'll get together every Monday night and we'll pray. We'll just pray. And we're going to pray. We're going to have a list a specific about every one of the missionaries in our church family. And we're going to pray over them so much so. And you watch what happens. God will do amazing things. I'm so excited to be living in this day. Let me urge you to grow in all these things because He is worthy. He is Lord of all. He is the great I am God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Let's bow in prayer and commit ourselves to Him. Lord, today we realize that we are meant to live the story of God. And this is not some fable, some interesting and creative work of a man. This is what you have spoken to us. Lord, you are marching your story. You're turning the pages. It's, it's coming to the end. And that will be a glorious time for those who know you. But that will be such a terrible time for those who don't. 
So might we be your refreshing dew in the world. Might we be those who are free will offerings for you who are working in the middle of this world who so many people just don't know you, that we might rescue so many, Lord. Bring your story to conclusion, Lord, and allow us the joy and the pleasure of living the story with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.